Uh, if you are a guest, another just real welcome to you and acknowledgement that you're here and it's not an accident that you're here. All right, wherever, wherever you are, whether you walked faithfully with Jesus for many years or this is kind of a new experience and you're just learning, uh, asking questions and curious about what that means, I just want to encourage you. Um, it's okay to not be okay here. We're a, a real and an open and honest people. We may no, not know each other well and I don't know almost any of you. Um, we share the bond of Christ. We share the path of peace. And, uh, and as uh, Eugene Peterson used to say, we are all pilgrims on the path of peace. And so welcome, be curious. Uh, my prayer is that we all have a, a really fresh encounter with the living word today and with his Holy Spirit. If you're not already there, open your Bibles up or turn them on. I suspect most people are doing that these days. Uh, we'll start in Exodus 20. I'm going to read it out of both texts, though. There's another time the, the Ten Commandments are mentioned in Deuteronomy. We'll read out of that as well. Uh, your church is working through this teaching series. I think Wes is calling it Ten Words, uh, Ten Big Ideas, Ten Commandments. And these, of course, uh, are some of the most familiar ideas and topics in our world, outside the Christian world, outside of a, a world that acknowledges Scripture or truth. The story of Moses, of God's deliverance, and particularly of these Ten Commandments is, uh, is one of the central narratives of our world. It's the foundation of many of our stories and narrative arcs. It's the foundation certainly of our law uh, and even of our hopes and our dreams, right? So the giving of these Ten Commandments have been for centuries depicted by artists and poets and more recently filmmakers. A few of the most common, I'll put on the screen here, or somebody will put on the screen, Rembrandt, 1659. This is his depiction of Moses with the Ten Commandments. And then there's Charlton Heston, lesser known, 1956. And uh, my personal favorite, Prince of Egypt, 1989. Still working? Sort of? Not yet? They're very familiar stories, uh, but they run that risk in that their familiarity um, could infer that by following these rules, this is a central idea in the gospel, or it's a means to maybe salvation, or a way to measure your spiritual maturity. And they are not, and it is not. Their goal in these ten very clear words is to awaken our minds and our imaginations to God's moral law the way that we were actually designed to live with God and with others. But ultimately to see that following the rules is impossible apart from a life under the full authority of Jesus. Following these rules is impossible outside of the authority of Jesus. Following the rules doesn't save us, only Jesus can. And these ten represent the way that he designed for you and I to flourish under his authority. As I'm sure Wes and other maybe guest speakers over the last uh, few weeks, and I think uh, Dave last week would have, would have reminded you, they're about our vertical relationships, right, with us and God. The first four are all about the vertical, and the last six are all about our horizontal relationships. Um, and we're doing them a bit out of order, I acknowledge that. That's because I only preach this sermon this summer. This is my one sermon this summer, and I'm going to do the fifth commandment. So it fell on a different week. I think uh, we did uh, uh, Thou Shalt Not Kill uh, last week. But again, all horizontal relationships. So today is kind of the pivot in the order that they're given to us. God addresses the closest horizontal relationships that you and I uh, have. Our first representation of what authority looks like, and that is in the family. If you're a note taker or if you, uh, like me, I'm a simple guy, I need to kind of keep it organized in my mind, uh, I have four simple questions we're going to ask of this, of this text. What does it command? What does the command ask? What does it promise? How do we practice it? I'm trying to make it really practical. 
And who does it point to and how does it point? How did Jesus point to this and point this to himself? I'll read the text and we'll get to work. Um, stand if you're able. I'm going to read God's word and we'll, uh, we'll read this together and then I'll pray and then we'll jump right in. We'll start in, in Exodus 20, starting in verse 1 and 2, and then I'll jump to verse 12. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the commandment is given this way. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live long and so that you may prosper in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God has given you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this beautiful and timely text and for the way that you intend to shape our hearts, transform our minds, and conform our wills through it today. We submit to you and acknowledge that we need a reminder of the gospel, that we need and that we don't fully live this out, that we have areas of dishonor, of authority, and certainly there's brokenness in many of our families. I pray for reconciliation, for healing, for a deep and uh, renewed perspective of what it means to honor those around us and ultimately to honor you. Holy Spirit, I submit myself to you, your work and your full authority. Help me to preach what you've given me and, and nothing more, and nothing less. I acknowledge my sin and my potential barrier to anything that you'd have, have said today. And I thank you for the freedom of repentance and of grace and forgiveness. I pray for the powerful working of your word today in each of our lives, for your glory, for our good, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat. So I have um, <clears throat> I've spent the past four years in a bit of a weird midlife transition, not a crisis, but a transition. Um, I had the privilege of shepherding a local church for 15 years or so, uh, 12 of which were in Vancouver, in East Van. Um, and now I get to play the role of a, uh, of a safety shepherd in the film industry, of all things. They don't hire me as a chaplain, but I see that as my role. I'm a chaplain in the film industry. Any other film workers? Anybody work in film at any level? See, this is the problem. There's not enough Jesus people in the film, in any industry for that matter, but um, I'm not surprised. Uh, which is why I'm a missionary now. But I, I went from working in an environment with almost exclusively Jesus-loving, Christ-following, spirit-filled people, hungry for discipleship, right? So like a garden. It was just beautiful and like your garden. Everything is growing and beautiful and, health and wonderful. Well, not everything. But the people were growing in a good way. And now I work in a place that's just the, almost the opposite of that. It's like a desert. Spiritually very confusing. Uh, homeless community. Spiritually homeless community where the motivations are often um, fame and power and money, and they wouldn't say this, but glory, getting the glory for yourself. So it's a very unusual place for a Christian minister to work in, and yet I feel very called there. Um, it is a privilege to work with such incredible artists and gifted artists, storytellers, craftspeople. There's a tremendous opportunity for the creator and the great storyteller, our Lord, to illuminate beauty and wonder and inspiration. So I say that simply to remind you to pray for your missionaries and practice one, being one yourself, right? Wherever you're called, wherever you are, whether that's school or work or a warehouse or at home, that's your, place of, your primary place of mission. 
Uh, so represent Jesus wherever you are. But one of the other points of connection is that um, inevitably it comes up in conversation with my colleagues who don't know who I am and have no idea of my past. And I try to like hide my dark history as a Christian pastor in Vancouver, <laughs> try to scrub, scrub it from the internet as best as I can. Um, invariably, the fact that I'm married for 27 years, have nine kids, some through adoption, uh, actually really love my wife still like crazy. Um, it makes me a bit of a unicorn. Like I'm a really generally happy person. Like I've, we have a very blessed and a, and a fruitful life, but it, it makes no sense to anybody I work with. That is not their journey. They're like, oh yeah, I've met somebody with nine kids. No, you haven't. Not if you work in film. That doesn't even happen. In fact, almost nobody's married because it consumes their entire life and it's not conducive to a healthy marriage. So, um, so there's no way I would have had, we would have had as many kids or uh, probably been as healthy as we were had we done this all of our life. Again, this is me in midlife crisis going in as an, as an undercover missionary. So it's an interesting place, but I, I become known as the family guy. So everywhere I go, oh, there's the guy with the family. Oh, there's the guy that's still married. And if they want to talk about anything, I might, I've been asked to officiate weddings from people that don't know Jesus. And, uh, and on occasion, I get to pray with people. And I'm also like the medic. I'm the attendant to care for anybody who's going through crisis, whether that's mental illness or a physical injury. And so I have the privilege of, of praying with people. But I become known as the family guy. So when I was asked to preach this summer, of course I'm going to get the family message because apparently that's, that's the only one I get. I just got one message. It's just uh, that. But it's not actually that. This text isn't that, as you'll find out as we get into this. Turns out, the fifth commandment isn't about family as much as I originally thought and as much as you may have thought. So we'll look at it together and simply say, what does this command ask? Quite simply, it's this, honor your father and mother. Okay, sounds like a parenting message, but that's actually how I used to preach this message. I would hear honor father and mother, and I'm like, father and mother, that's my world. This must be a message on parenting. And so I would just kind of riff off of this and go through Ephesians 6 and pull out all kinds of texts that reference parenting and a relationship with children, generally young children, but this is not that. The commandment is to adult children and to the generations before them, ahead of them. Yes, to their parents, but ultimately to all authorities above them and to our elders. So this is a, this is a sermon, this is a, a commandment specifically to adult children and to their parents. It relates to young children and parents, certainly, but it's not, that's not at the core. So it's, all, it's to all of us. We were all at one point kids, and right now we all are somebody's child. And I was convicted about that deeply. It's actually the only commandment that addresses how we are to live in relationship to authority. How you and I live in relationship to authority. Government, we've prayed for them already this morning. Our bosses, our employers, most of us are under somebody's authority. Um, anybody really in a position of authority, this is the commandment that addresses that at its very root. It's almost as if God were saying, if we honor our family relationships and the way that he's designed that, other relationships fall into place or we'll start to flourish. And the converse could also be true, that if we dishonor our family relationships or the way that we're designed to operate in family in deep community, everything else falls apart. Everything else falls apart, and that, as you're probably well aware, is our world today. Everything falling apart. It seems like it. If your Twitter feed is any evidence of it, it's falling apart. It's a dumpster fire. And there's a reason for that, and it starts with honor and what honor is and the misunderstanding of honor. What does it mean to honor someone? The Hebrew word is kab kabod, 
K-A-B-O-D, kabod. means weight or glory. We often will sing it, but it's the word, same word for glory. It refers to the person, power, and presence of God, the weight of His glory, as has been famously said. And here's the key. Parents, our fathers and mothers, are the first representatives of God to their children. Parents are the first representatives of God to their children. They're first tangible, physically present representations of God to their children. That's a weighty idea for those of us that are parents. And this command says, honor that authority because it represents something deeper. Honor the authority of your father and mother because it represents something deeper. Notice what it does not say. It does not command us to adore our parents, to show affection towards our parents, to admire our parents even, to trust or even obey as we just sung, because that was to God. It doesn't say that. That's not the commandment. Now, it, you know, if you're a good parent, you want your children to do this, and if you're in a healthy family, which is beautiful and rare, praise the Lord that you get to admire, trust, show affection, dwell with, beautiful that's kingdom, it's wonderful. That's not what this commandment is. It simply says, honor them. Why? Why does it just say to honor them? Lots of reasons. A few of them would be parent-child relationships are pretty nuanced, and they change the older you grow. As we age, those relationships become quite different than when your children are young or when you're a young child than when you're a young adult or than when you're an older adult caring for your parents, perhaps. And some of you could be in those seasons, right? We enter the world usually the same way that we, uh, we, we leave it, wearing a diaper, eating soft foods, completely dependent on other people. That's, how, that's the beginning and the end of life. Those are the bookends. But everything in between is quite different than that. We're generally not utterly dependent on somebody else. We're in a different relationship, and our kids are that same way. Lots of variation in relationships, seasons of lots of authority, lots of dependence, lots of submission, lots of vulnerability, and lots of responsibility, and those relationships change. My wife Susie and I have very different relationships with our younger children, our toddler and preschooler and our teenagers and middle schoolers, very different level of relationship with them, level of authority with them than we do with our young adult kids. Right, last night we had a bridal shower for our 22-year-old getting married this summer our first marriage. Different level of relationship. We're going to walk her down the aisle in three weeks, less a day. Different level of authority, different nuanced relationship with that child than I do with our younger kids. To older kids, we become coaches, right? Prayer warriors, counselors, and we've done our best to teach and to live out a way of life under Christ's authority. We've blown it on many, many occasions, have to model what it's like to ask for forgiveness and repent in front of your kids, to your kids sometimes. We've done our best, and it's been, it's been not great, and sometimes it's been beautiful and deeply redemptive, and Jesus has been disproportionately good and faithful to us. But we have a different level of relationship with our kids. With our younger kids, it's all, we're going Ephesians 6 all day long, Ephesians 6, 1 to 3. It could be on the screen behind me. It says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All the parents said, amen. Honor your father. And then Paul quotes this commandment. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is this, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That it may go well with you, live long in the land. And I also, in this season, have a different relationship with my parents. 
right, who are now in their 70s. My mom's still alive. She's remarried. I had the privilege of spending a week with them a couple weeks ago up in, uh, up in the shoe shop. A wonderful time, a real joy to see them loving Jesus, growing in grace together, uh, and engaging as grandparents. And it was an opportunity to honor them in their 70s. But it's a diff- honor looks different in that season of life, doesn't it? So the command is to honor. It's not necessarily to obey or depend upon. Seasons where it could be and it should be, but that's not what it's commanding across the board, because at some point, obedience and dependence can become unhealthy. There's a weightier challenge with this command, and some of you are like immediately objecting to this, honor your father and mother. That's because you don't know my father and mother. You don't know my situation. You don't know my story. And you're right, I don't. Obviously, I don't. And maybe very few people do. But I do know the reality of living with abuse and with trauma and neglect and abandonment. I do know hard situations. Like I said, we've adopted three kids from a very traumatic background. All of them have significant issues. We'll always have significant issues, but all of them are deeply loved and deeply embedded in our family. They are full members of our family. And their their extended family that we're in relationship with is certainly uh, challenging. Uh, and yet there's redemption, there's beauty in that. Our whole, our whole ministry life have, has been in, really focused on engaging at-risk youth. What it's like to live with tra- trauma in your past or neglect or addiction or dysfunction, mental illness. That's been our world. So I don't know your situation. You're right, but I know some situations. And I know my family and my world, and that's our world. A lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of sorrow, uh, a lot of trauma. And hearing a simple phrase, honor your father and mother, can be pretty challenging if your parents were dishonorable to you and to themselves in many cases. This command is to honor them, and it's clarifying. Because it doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your stage in life, doesn't matter your mental health status or their mental health status, their respectability or their worthiness of it, the quality of their parenting, doesn't matter. Honor your father and mother. No excuses, no conditions, honor your father and mother. Okay. On what basis would God want that to be the reality? Right? Some would say, oh, well, obviously because of blood relationship, because you're biologically related. You all know that's not, the, that's not the story of family in the Bible. That's not kingdom family. Adoption is just as much of non-blood related families are just as much a family in the kingdom of God. So it's not blood. Could it be because of the age and wisdom of elders? That's an honorable thing, and we should honor and respect our elders. Sure, but old people sin just differently. Old people are still just as sinful. They just sin differently, right? Libido has a way of changing as you get older, and lots of other things become more important and less important. Your life changes and your sins change, but you're still a sinner, saved by grace, the older you get. Could be gratitude for their investment. Maybe we should honor our mother and father because of their investment of time and energy. No, what if some parents invested very little time or energy? None of those reasons hold up. We are simply to honor our parents for this reason, because they are God's first representatives of the moral order of the universe. They are God's first representatives of the moral order of the universe. Whether they did a great job or a terrible job, whether they were there for you or completely absent, they were a representation. It could have been a poor one, and in way too many cases it is a poor one, but they were the one we were given. 
and it hinges, there is a way that God has designed us to live, a way that leads to life and according to his promise, flourishing. And it hinges on honoring authority. So why? Why would this matter? It's maybe helpful to look at what is this promise? There's an interesting promise in this, especially in the Deuteronomy version. I'll read it again. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you so that, here's the promise, that you may live long and that you may prosper in the land the Lord your God has given you. I prefer the way the ESV puts it, so that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. That your days may be long, that it may go well. Well, that's interesting. We know lots of people who have honored their parents and have died young, right? So it can't be individually, and conversely, You probably know a fair number of people that have dishonored their parents and have lived good, long, and terrible lives, all right? So it's not not individually. Oh, if you honor your parents, you're going to individually live long? It's not saying that. Can't be saying that. That's clearly not the situation, but it is a promise to something, to somebody, some group of people, or to to a cultural position and posture that leads to life and flourishing. This is the way honor your father and mother. Be honorable towards those that God's put in your life or to those authorities in your life. And a culture that does that will flourish. God is helping us or trying to help us understand there's a moral order, there's a structure to the way he's designed us to live. There is a truth. There is a right way. There is a better way to live. And that way is to live under authority. If we live according to this design... And civilizations and cultures that live under this design tend to experience more freedom and more flourishing. There's a liberty under authority, you could say. A liberty, a freedom that comes under authority. Think about it like this, really crude but simple illustrations. Think about an orchestra. Some of you are musicians. An orchestra needs to live under authority to flourish. It's called a conductor. It's called rules within music. When a conductor is doing their work brilliantly, the orchestra comes together. Without a conductor... It's just noise. If you're making a film, again, my world, it only flourishes under the direction of an excellent director, a skilled and attentive director, or a first AD, assistant director. Movies that don't, aren't led well like this tend to be horrible box office smashes, or they're a superhero movie, which could be the same thing. But they go badly, right? In fact, I start tomorrow on a show that we have been producing for a full year, we're reshooting the whole first two episodes because it wasn't good enough. Netflix wants it better. I'm like, all right, so we're reshooting the whole thing. We need a good director. We need a good authority to make that work. If you're uh, into sports, apparently Wes is. got like all kinds of gym equipment in his office. Dude, that's hilarious. That guy must be... Anyway, if you're into athletics especially team sports, it flourishes only when there's a referee and only when there's clearly defined rules. It flourishes under authority. My new father, um, I don't know if it's a father-in-law, I don't know what that is, when you're in your 70s and your mother remarries. My new dad, Bob, poor soul, he's a Rough Riders fan, like from Saskatchewan. He is just absolutely, I'm playing crib with the guy. And he's livid about, apparently, a bunch of terrible referee decisions made against his team. And he's like, I'm boycotting the team. I won't watch the CFL anymore. So great, now there's three three fans left. I'm like, come on, dude. 
Cheer for your green nation, but he's so undone because the authority's been broken. He's got nothing. He's like, I, I can't even follow them anymore because it's just the whole system's rigged. All right, maybe it is, but he's making the point. We only flourish under authority. We're designed to live under authority, and the absence of authority, chaos reigns. It prevails. Nobody flourishes. So these authority figures represent an order that allows us to flourish and our civilization to flourish. And parents are ideally the first version of this authority. A little cultural excursus. Um, you're very well aware of this, I suspect. I know Wes is tuned into this. But Western, our civilization is under a great experiment. We're undertaking an interesting experiment on what would life look like if we rejected the fifth commandment? What would a civilization and a culture and a city look like if we specifically rejected this commandment? Others as well, but specifically this one. Let's reimagine a world without authority. That must be freedom, right? No rules, no authority. And it's chaos. We're, we're experimenting in a live experiment with real lives and real souls what it's like to replace the virtue of humility with pride, to replace wisdom of elders with youthful passions and folly, to replace parents as trusted authorities that actually care about their children more than anybody. We'll replace that with some a, a radical self-determination at any age that parents increasingly are seen as a potential threat to kids' personal freedom and flourishing. It's a grand experiment in rejecting the fifth commandment. That's our world. That's our city. It's the air you and I breathe. And we're seeing the fruits of this experiment all around us. Right? Epidemics of mental health, mental illness, depression, anxiety, various other disorders, social contagions. It's all around us. Confusion around our identity, our purpose, our meaning. Now, families have always been under attack from Eastern worldviews, right? Author where authoritarianism or communism makes the state the ultimate authority. But we're also under attack from Western worldviews, where radical individualism, right, reigns and the self is the only authority. So this idea doesn't match easily in any of those. Marriage is under pressure from both recent revolu revolutions, the industrial and the technology, technological revolution, diminishing and distorting roles, values for men, women, marriages. It's just the result is chaos, relational instability. A lot of things, but none of them would be described as flourishing. We've rejected the fifth commandment and we're are living out the consequences. We're seeing, we're witnessing, you and I are witnessing the consequences. But the point is simply this, we're designed to flourish under authority and the primary environment for that is supposed to be the family. The family is, by God's grace, supposed to be a learning community where parents model and teach to their kids this is the way all right this is the way that's one of the messages we give our kids we're not quoting the mandalorian this is just kingdom this is the way there is a way i'm follow me as i follow jesus it's not going to be perfect but this is the way he is the way there is something worth living for there is something worth dying for this is the way we are, as parents are to point to what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, what is redemptive in our world and teach that to our kids. Interesting though, I would argue it's, it's less important. If, 
You want to be good at this as a parent. You want to be good at this. You want to work hard at this and do the best you possibly can. But even if you didn't or even if your parents didn't or parents didn't, that's not the worst situation. It's less important to be good or right even as parents consistently because none of us are consistently. We all make mistakes. The key is to make an effort and to take the responsibility seriously, take the role of authority seriously. So the worst thing isn't misdirected authority. It's offering no authority. That's the worst. No authority. For you as a parent maybe or as a mentor to go to a child or somebody in developing, developing stage of their life and say, I have no idea what's right or good or true for you. No idea. Good luck figuring it out. I'm here for you, but it's all, you got to figure out. You do you. Seriously? That could not be the, that is the antithesis of this message. But that's the, that's the air we breathe. You're on your own, kid. Good luck figuring it out. If you wanted to devastate a generation, this is how you would do it. Think about your own parents. If you're wrestling with this, and I, you know, I was going through this, I'm wrestling with where, where my parents were wonderful, where they struggled, where I agree with them now and where I don't agree with them now. Did, you, did, they, did your parents ever give you bad advice? Advice now that you wish you wouldn't have taken or that you're glad you didn't take? Of course. Did your parents or parent tell you things that were wrong? Yes, they did. Did you as a parent tell your kids things that were wrong? Yes, you did. No amens on that one for some reason, but... Of course you did. Did they pass along and did you pass along some of your unhealthy stereotypes even? And baggage and, thing, and carnal sins, things that you were predisposed to, things that you were weak on, you didn't develop, you didn't have maturity in your own spiritual walk or development. Of course you did, because we're human, that's what we do. But at least by God's grace, you taught something or they taught you something. And as you developed, as you matured, as you grew, grew and hopefully spiritually, you were able to grow and reject some of those things and embrace some others. And you were able to, to redeem some and say, oh, you know what, I, my parents really meant, well, this is what they were aiming at, and I, and I see that now, and I appreciate and I even respect that. That's what happens as you grow old. You don't become just like your parents. You become, by God's grace, a little more mature, a little more culturally aware, hopefully more gospel fluent even. And your kids will do the same to you. It's not about becoming just many, many me's, many parents. It's you reject some things, and that's okay. The call is, the command is to honor your mother and father because they are the first representative of God in your life. Respect them not for their success, their failure, or their wisdom, but simply for who they represent. Who they represent. So I'm really practical for a few minutes. How do we practice this? How do we practice this? Three simple words. I'm old school. Three points. I can't get past that. I know Wes is good enough to do two points, but I still have three. Respect them, forgive them, and look past them. Respect your parents, forgive your parents, and look past your parents. Respect them. Remember the word for honor. It means weight or significance. Take your parents seriously. Give that relationship some weight, significant weight. Right? If you're able to, Ask for their advice and perspective as they're aging. Even if you may agree or disagree. Remind them what you've learned, because there's got to be some things you've learned from them. In some cases, maybe how not to live, but you learn something from them. Let them know. In some cases, there's lots to share, and that's wonderful. We praise, celebrate that. Recognize that your parents are also growing and maturing. 
they're developing, that they, they live out and act and even believe in some cases differently and hopefully more mature than they did when they were raising you when you were young. They're growing and developing. Give them, give them that grace. Extend them that grace. And recognize that all of us as adult kids or even younger kids or even aging older adults, but also kids, we, in some weird way that can be easily overstated, we represent them and we reflect them. And I know this is, some of my kids are really thriving and flourishing, and I know how, how much joy that brings my wife and I, to see them flourishing. And I know some of our kids in different seasons have really struggled, really struggled, really struggled. And I know how much that draws us to our knees as parents in prayer, how much it humbles us, how much it weighs on us. It's a heavy weight. So recognize that in your parents, that, that there, is, there is that dynamic now, obviously, that can lead to unhealthy overreactions, right? Kids don't need extra pressure to perform for their parents. I'm not saying that. Take the relationship seriously. Give it the weight that it deserves, even if they don't deserve it. Secondly, forgive them. Forgive your parents, your father and your mother. And this is tough because many of us carry all kinds of burdens and resentment and baggage from that relationship. And maybe that's ongoing in your life. All of our parents have failed us to some degree. All have made mistakes, and so will you, and so have you as parents. Some were simply unable or unwilling to train us up. Some coddled us, and some released us too early, premature launch. Weren't ready. Some may have been abusive. Some wrestled with addiction. Some got divorced when you were a kid. What were you thinking, Mom or Dad? What happened? Could you abandon us like that? Like, there's so many ways... The implication of this commandment is we must forgive them. We must forgive them for your sake and for God's sake. Forgive them for your sake because that's how you're set free. doesn't mean you're going to have a reconciled, happy relationship with them. doesn't mean everything's going to be just wonderful and warm and you get wonderful reunions again. No, not at all. It just says forgive them. Extend grace towards them. You're free from seeking their approval. That's not the point of this. You're free also from blaming them for all your struggles. So as adults, stop seeking their approval as your ultimate hope. We were designed to seek this. That's a natural desire, but it's not in them. And that's why in order to honor our parents, our mother and father, according to this, we need to look past them. We need to look past our mother and father. Our parents, in their imperfect and often clumsy way, I say that for myself, represented God to you. But we have to grow up. We have to look beyond them. We have to come under God's ultimate authority if we're to flourish and truly live. To be a Christian simply means that God himself is your true and perfect father. God is your true and perfect father. His approval and not, not your parents is what you need to flourish. No earthly parent can ever perfectly train up a child in the way he or she should go. Only our heavenly father can. So let your imperfect family situation point you to the source of that need to flourish under a true and a good authority. Honor your father and mother by letting their imperfect example point you directly to Jesus. So that could be it. All right, that's it. I've answered the what, the why, the how. Honor your father and mother not because they deserve it, but because God does. Respect them, forgive them, look past them. Recognize who they represent and the weight of his glory in this. But that would not be a 
sermon that's good information that's maybe helpful and hopefully true, but it doesn't, cl- doesn't clarify the gospel. It doesn't explicitly remind us, how does Jesus connect to this? Because apparently every page in Scripture does connect to Jesus. He's on every page. I would argue that. Believe West believes that and models that to you all. So where's Jesus in this? How does it point to him? How did Jesus use this commandment in his teaching ministry and in the gospel itself? A few points I'll mention, not points. I'll just mention a few times Jesus brings this up. Consider Jesus' parable about the prodigal sons. Consider Jesus' example or his parable about the prodigal sons. It's found in Luke 15. You can read it. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter uh, after this sometime this week, how it depicts a truly honorable father, right, whose rebellious son, actually rebellious sons, both ends, right, the older brother, the younger brother, they're, all, they're both in rebellion, they're both dishonoring their dad. In one case, a son has squandered his father's reputation, his wealth, dishonored him at every level, hoping simply to return as a slave. He just can't even imagine being a son anymore, but would you at least take me back as a slave? The father will have none of it. The true and the good father will have none of it. He runs across the field, dishonors himself, humbles himself, unashamedly embracing his unkept, disrespectful son. And he cries out, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. Family, let's celebrate. Throw a party for this kid. You are of infinite worth and value in my family. That's Jesus' picture of a parent worthy of honor. We're all one of those prodigal sons. We're either the older brother or the younger brother. Consider Jesus' prayer for each of us in John chapter 17, another chapter worth worth a review this week, John 17. He prays that the Heavenly Father, this is Jesus' words, His prayer for you, the Heavenly Father would love us even as He loves Him. Think about that. Jesus is saying, Father, Father, would you love your people as much as you love me? Would you, like the way you love me, the way we abide, as we sang earlier, with one another, would you love them in the same way, that they could know you as their true Father? That's Jesus' prayer for you, is an honorable Father. Consider then Jesus' submission to his earthly, or to his Father's authority. Jesus' submission to his Father's authority. Before the cross, he cries out, Take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. Not my will done, but yours. I trust you. I respect you. I honor you. I need you. I know that you love me, Father, and I submit to your good and perfect will. I do not want to do this. Take this cup from me. But I will do this to honor you. I trust you. Fully submitted to the Father's authority all the way to the cross where he laid down his life for our freedom that we would flourish, where he secured our future and our eternity with him. And lastly, consider Jesus' challenge to what we know in English as the rich young ruler. Jesus quotes this fifth commandment in a dialogue with the rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 19, where the rich guy who's got everything but he knows he's missing something, approaches Jesus and he asks him, what must I do to receive eternal life? What must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus' response, keep the commandments. Copy that, got that, yes, done all those. Jesus then lists number five. 
honor your father and mother. Yeah, I've done that, Jesus. I know I'm still missing something. There must be something else. Jesus looks at him and says, yes, there is. Exactly. Go give your riches to the poor and then follow me. Jesus' words. Go, give, give what you have. Give the things that you're really valuing. Give the things that are in control of your life away and follow me. Follow me. The rich young ruler is trying to follow all the rules and have his life flourish, and he's not flourishing. Jesus is saying, if you want to flourish, follow me. Follow me. Because following the rules, even these top ten, while it is a good and true and the way to live, it's God's design to live, it doesn't allow us to flourish on its own. Rules never save us, and following them doesn't save us. You may live a better life, but you're not going to flourish. You're not going to live the life God's designed for you. The good news isn't a command to follow these rules. It's an invitation, as Jesus extended, to follow the person and work of Jesus. It's all about following his work and his wonder. Jesus, who alone followed these rules perfectly, the only one ever followed all these rules perfectly. If you're honest, we've broke all of them. Some of you broke them all before you came to church this morning, or a bunch of them, and now you're denying it, which means I know you've already broken the seventh, eighth maybe, sorry, I haven't got them all in order. We all do, but Jesus lived them out perfectly. He was the only one worthy to pay the price for our sins, our failings, and our efforts. He's the only one that therefore can present us righteous before the Father reconciled. Jesus, who alone conquered Satan, sin, and death to purchase our freedom and who invites each of us now to come home, to come home into his family, to be adopted into our true family, to look past our flawed parents, to look to who they were supposed to point us towards, to come under the authority that will never shame us, that will never leave us, that will never forsake us, never abandon us, never crush us with guilt, but will relentlessly call us to himself, who will lead us to life everlasting, who alone is worthy of glory and praise and honor. So Dunbar Heights, honor your father and mother, for in so doing you honor Christ. There are a few times in history where modeling this command would be so countercultural, but that is the day you and I have been called into. This is our cultural moment that honoring our father and mother, mother would be radically counter-cultural, counter-intuitive, but compelling and by God's grace, beautiful, winsome, and inviting. To be a people who live under authority. If this sounds like good, to, good news to you, and you know deep down this is what you've been looking for, that's why you're here this morning. If maybe you've never made a response to the gospel invitation, I'd invite you to do so today, to come home to Jesus, to receive his extension, his invitation his offer of life and flourishing. You'll be welcomed into, our, into his family. Talk to Dave, Courtney, somebody sitting next to you during this time of response and prayer. I invite you to, to engage in that. Be reminded of, of um, the Apostle John's words in John chapter 1. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man but of God. Be born again. Throw your life at his mercy. Let Jesus transform you from the inside out. Come under his authority. For the rest of us, 
let's ask ourselves very simply, how can we better honor the authorities God's put in our lives? Obviously with our parents first, or parents, but where else can we honor authority that God's put in us? Where can we show respect? Where do we need to extend forgiveness and grace? How are we looking past our earthly family or the things that are broken in our lives to our true and perfect Father? And for some of us, ask him, am I more focused on following the rules than following Jesus? And let Jesus speak to you in that place. As we prepare to respond to the gospel and honor God through communion, let me pray, invite others to come up and lead us through that time. Father, I thank you again for this word, for this beautiful and simple reminder of what it means to honor and why we honor. I thank you for presenting us pure and righteous and spotless before your Father, that we could be reconciled, received, seen holy where we are not. We acknowledge our need for you. We also acknowledge, Jesus, that your work is sufficient. Bring healing to our relationships, Lord. Holy Spirit, guide us in our thoughts and prayers where we need to repent and where we need to ask for forgiveness and extend grace. And Jesus, for those of us that are parents or grandparents, would you extend grace to your kids? Would you enable us to do well in the season that you've called us into? To be honorable, to be worthy of honor, to follow your example in doing so. To model forgiveness and our need for ongoing forgiveness. And to model freedom. Thank you for being the way and the truth and the life, Jesus. And it's in your glorious name we pray. Amen.